All right, for those of you who are new, my name is Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here. Thank you so much for coming today. We are in our second week of Advent, but we also are in the month of December, which means that we are about to embark on something that we don't do very often here, and that is an entire month of us talking about money on Sunday mornings. We're not the kind of church you might have noticed that focuses a lot on asking you to give money. We do always, every Sunday, at the end of service, remind you that we are a nonprofit and offer you the opportunity to give. But you might have noticed we don't pass an offering plate, we don't pass an offering basket every Sunday. We try not to talk about money as though if you give us your money, God will somehow like you more. Uh, that's the sort of thing that churches have a bad rap for, so we just don't do that here. But. Twice a year, we do remind you that we're a nonprofit that needs your charitable giving in order to continue. So every June, we have a membership drive, uh, sort of like your favorite local NPR station. You know, we make little tote bags and stuff like that, coffee cups. Uh, uh, Laura's even wearing our last year's gift, which is a knit cap. Uh, we do that every June. We spend the whole month of June. Uh, asking you to consider becoming a, a member, a supporting member here. And then, of course, every December, it's year-end giving, and so we conduct a year-end giving campaign. And just like a lot of nonprofits, we depend on more giving at the end of the year as people like you are thinking about giving a little extra to charity in order to get a tax benefit. So this year, Janelle and I lost our minds a little bit and decided to make a video uh, to share with you what our needs at the end of this year are. So we're going to go ahead and share that video with you. Now, welcome to the Oceanside Sanctuary. This is a special place in downtown Oceanside. Every Sunday, of course, our community gathers here to worship in a safe place that includes all people. But that's not all that happens here. Every week right here in this building, we operate a food pantry that serves over 400 hungry people in this neighborhood every single month. We gather the community here to advocate for just policy changes in the community. We teach classes on how to rightly read the Bible as a story of liberation for all people, but especially women, people of color, LGBTQIA people, and other oppressed and marginalized groups. We even host classes here on how to heal from the wounds caused by hurtful or harmful religious spaces. All of those great things that Jason shared, they happen in this amazing building. Our congregation built this building in 1928, and for almost 100 years, it has been a space of faith and community service. During the Great Depression, our pastor, Grandma Grace, started a soup kitchen right here on this corner. Since then, we've had all kinds of programming, after school tutoring programs, meals for unhoused neighbors, community action meetings, and community clinics. This is an amazing building right here in downtown Oceanside. And the best part about it, it's paid for. But for as much as we love it, owning a 94-year-old building comes with some big challenges, like windows that badly need repair, an old broken heater that doesn't work, and no air conditioning. But our biggest issue is over here. Over the last few rainstorms, we've learned that our roof is in bad shape. We're not ready to spend the $120,000 it's going to cost to put a new roof on, but we need to repair it. Year-end giving is a big deal for most nonprofits, and the Oceanside Sanctuary is no different. 
Every year at this time, we count on an extra giving of about $20,000 a year just to make our budget. But this year we've decided to dream big and we're asking you to help us raise $35,000 so that we can tackle some of these critical projects. Now we know that fixing a roof isn't as exciting as starting new programs, but we need a good roof in order to have great programs. Now, I know $35,000 sounds like a lot, but together we can reach that goal. Whether you can give 50 or 500 or $5,000, whatever gift you can give will make a huge difference towards reaching that goal and helping the Oceanside Sanctuary to stay strong and to serve the needs of this community by providing a space of inclusive, inspiring, and impactful Christian spirituality for anybody who needs it. To give your gift today, go to OceansideSanctuary.org slash give. Okay. I So here's the thing, right? Like talking about money is awkward. Asking for money is awkward. Um, but this is an important thing that we are a part of here. And it's an unusual and really rare community that really does welcome and assist and help anybody who needs it. And we think that this is important to support. Janelle and I support this church just like a lot of you, we give to this church every single week. We just have an automatic debit that comes out of our bank account every Sunday, literally before church every Sunday, I get a thank you from the church for giving to it. Uh, that's one way that we support. Am I, am I not on? Is that why you're waving at me back there? No, I'm not. All right. I'm just such a loud mouth. You can all hear me anyway. <laughs> Uh, but in addition to that, at the end of the year, Janelle and I also really sit down and we ask each other and we prayerfully consider what extra amount we can give in December because the church really does count on that little surge of giving every December. So to make that clear, we always plan to get about an extra $20,000 in December from those of you who do that same thing. You sort of give a little bit extra. This year, we've decided to add 15,000 to that because 15,000 is what we're expecting it to cost to fix some of the problems in the roof. And so we're here today to ask you to think this month about how you might be able to give a little bit extra. And we do want you to think prayerfully about that. The desire is not for anybody to give so much money that they can't pay their rents or their car payment. I promise you that if you go broke giving to the church, God is not going to magically make checks appear in your mailbox. That's not how faith works. The way this works is you ask what you think you might actually be able to give because it's a joyful expression for us to give to things we care about. And whatever amount that is, is really okay. We really trust that whatever we need, God will provide. And if we get less than that $15,000, that's okay too. Uh, now every year we're surprised and we, we surpass our goal somehow. Uh, and I hope that happens this year too, so we can take care of all the things we need to take care of. Uh, but we really have faith that we can do whatever God's calling us to do with whatever God gives. All right. So every Sunday, um, so one of us is going to get up here and remind you that December we have a year-end campaign, uh, and I hope that uh, that makes sense and that you consider how you might be able to participate. Oh, also, the other thing you can do, by the way, is you'll see that video. The reason we made a video is because 
we wanted to give everybody the opportunity to share it. So if you have a Facebook and you see this video floating across your Facebook feed, would you do us a favor and share that video and maybe write a few things about why this place matters to you and ask your friends and family to consider even giving a small amount to you? That would be very, very helpful. All right, well, let's jump into our text for this week. We are, of course, like I said, in the second week of Advent. And for those of you who, like me, maybe weren't raised in a tradition that celebrates Advent, Advent literally means uh, waiting or anticipation. It is this sense that we are expecting something good to happen. And in this case, we're expecting something good to happen on Christmas. This is the beginning of the liturgical calendar for the Christian church. And all over the world, churches are celebrating this season of four weeks where we prepare our hearts for the coming of the good news in the person of Christ who's born on Christmas morning. And so during this time, we often visit passages that have to do with hope and anticipation and expectation for the good news of the gospel. This week, our passage is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And there's a bit in this passage that might be familiar to you. So I want to read the whole thing first, and then I want to share with you some of the things that I'm noticing in this passage. So Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says this. A shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb and the leopard lie down with the kid the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze their young, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Would you pray with me just as we uh, enter into our time of teaching together? God, we thank you so much for today, for what this season of Advent means as we come to you today with our, our voices, with our prayers, with our singing, with our ears as we listen to these words, as we uh, bring our attention to you. We ask that you would grow our hearts, that you would stretch our imaginations today, that we would be challenged to imagine new possibilities for our world as well as our families and our lives. We ask that you would bring the hope of peace to bear on our lives as we reflect on what your gospel means. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
One of the things, that, things that's been fun for Janelle and I lately, uh, and I apologize in advance, you're all just going to have to put up with me talking about my grandson uh, exhaustively because, of course, we have a new grandson at home. And as we have been uh, hanging out with Otis is his name, by the way, as we've been hanging out with Otis and discovering anew what it's like to have a small baby in the house because our our daughter and our son-in-law have been like kind enough to come and spend several days at a time with us because you know we're helpful to them and they're trying to figure out how to get some sleep and uh, that is of course just a terrible thing you know to have to have our grandson in our house with us uh, wake up every morning and and hold him and comfort him it's been a real joy but it's reminded us what it's like to have small children in the house it's been a long time since we've had small children in the house and I'm reminded of all the ways that small children imagine possibilities that are utterly unrealistic, utterly fantastical. He's been looking at this little black and white book that's like mesmerizing him every morning. It has all these crazy little shapes and images on it. And I'm reminded of how when you have small kids, they imagine all kinds of ridiculous possibilities like horses with wings or, you know, lions that eat cat food or, you know, uh, ways that uh, that the world just doesn't really exist. Right. This is one of the beauties of having young children who create art that you put up on your refrigerator and it depicts all kinds of things that don't actually exist in the world. And that is something that I think we see in this passage is sort of the the fantastic displayed before us in a creative way as we read this familiar passage that describes lions laying down with lambs and young children hanging out with snakes without any fear that something terrible is going to happen. It's, a, it's an utterly impossible vision. And so I want to go through this a bit and share with you some of what I'm noticing in here and how that speaks to our hope for peace in the world. In chapter 11, beginning in first verse 1 through verse 3, we see this promise of a coming figure who's going to bring something good into the world. It says, a, a shoot shall come out or a branch from the root of Jesse that indicates that there is a lineage at play here. There is a hope for somebody connected to an important person in the history of Israel who's going to bring a better possibility into the world. And that possibility comes in a very particular way. I want you to notice in verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. This is speaking of this future person that Israel is hoping for. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. And then in this poetic way, Psalms tells us what that spirit is like. It says, The Spirit of wisdom, verse 2, and understanding. This is that uh, characteristic way that ancient Near Eastern poetry explains itself through parallelism. The spirit of wisdom is the spirit of understanding. The spirit of counsel and might is the spirit of knowledge. So this sort of poetic uh, rendering of a future possibility is telling us that that future possibility is tied to a kind of strength or a kind of power that's characterized by wisdom, by understanding, by counsel, by knowledge. This is a different kind of power, a different kind of strength. And for a people, an ancient people who are existing in an extraordinarily violent world where they have literally been carried off 
into captivity, first in Egypt and then later by the Persians, for a people who have known so much violence, it's important to note that their hopes for a better future, a peaceful future, rest on a different kind of power. The power of wisdom, the power of understanding, the power of knowledge. And then verse 3, the poet says, his delight, that's this person who comes in the future, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So this fear of the Lord, this phrase that gets often used in the Old Testament, refers to this sort of intense respect or desire or affection or love for the goodness that comes from God. Now, this person that comes in the future that brings peace will delight in that goodness that comes from God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's knowledge. And then it turns in verse 3 to a new subject. It's going to unpack what that sort of power looks like. It says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. That is, of course, a reference to how we tend to judge. We tend to judge other people by what we see and what we hear. And so when you see people who are different than you, when you see people who dress differently, who love differently, who live differently, who speak differently, there is a tendency in all of us to be afraid of what is different. But this person will not judge by what they see, nor will this person judge by what they hear. In other words, they won't make judgments on the basis of their biases. Instead, this person will judge with righteousness. This person's judgment will be good. And it says, interestingly, they shall judge with righteousness the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So out of this place of righteousness and goodness, this place of knowledge and understanding, those who are poor will find equity. The poor will no longer be judged according to bias, according to the outside appearance, but instead this person will bring to them an opportunity for equity. And then the passage takes an interesting and disturbing turn. It says, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now, this sounds, of course, extraordinarily violent. The theme of Advent this week is peace. And this is the passage. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked be easy, I think, to focus on this and see it as a, a text that perpetuates violence. But it's actually the opposite. This is an expression of irony. Because if you want to conquer the earth, if you want to kill your enemy, you don't use words to do it. You use the sword. Use armies. Or in our case, you use guns or missiles or battleships. But what this poet does is say, no, this person that's coming in the future, this person that brings goodness and righteousness and ultimately peace, the brand of conquering that this person relies on will be words. In other words, the opposite of the kind of violence that we tend to use. It's sort of like those depictions in Revelation of Jesus coming back, 
in the second coming and the sword coming out of his mouth. Right? This is not so much a depiction of Jesus conquering with violence as it is an ironic use of the fact that the power of God is not with weapons, but with words instead. This is the way of peace. The way of peace is when instead of relying on armies and swords and guns and military expression, we rely instead on knowledge, on ideas, on truth. So with that ironic turn, the poet then turns to the depiction of the impossible. Verse 8, the wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. This is a depiction of what is utterly absurd. Just trying to fit our brains into the idea of wild animals and children and prey and predator existing together peacefully challenges our perceptions of reality. But that is the depiction of peace that this particular prophetic poet ends with. And that is entirely intentional. Because this is what prophets do. What prophets do is they use these sort of poetic images of the impossible to put forward the idea that God might actually be able through us to accomplish what is impossible. I love the way that the great Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann talks about this. He says that the prophetic engages in futuring fantasy. The prophet does not ask if the vision can be implemented for questions of implementation are of no consequence until the vision can be imagined. The imagination must become before implementation. Our culture... Hear this and ask yourself if you think this is true. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and imagine almost nothing. The same royal consciousness that makes it possible to implement anything and everything is the one that shrinks imagination because imagination is a danger. Thus, every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist. So I know like when Brueggemann says that we live in a culture that can implement almost anything but imagine nothing, that we think, well, that's not true. Our culture imagines all kinds of things. We invent all kinds of things. We create all kinds of amazing technologies and artistic expressions. But I would like you to consider just for a moment the possibility that in America our imaginations are relegated almost entirely to the creation of new technologies that exist for profit or new binge-worthy television shows to keep us distracted. Where is our imagination for the impossibility of people who actually get along with each other? Where is our imagination for the possibility of living in communities whose policies actually dignify and uplift the poor? Where is our imagination for the possibility of living in a world where people are not threatened with violence because they are gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgendered? Where is our imagination 
for what truly does seem impossible to us. Because smaller and thinner and lighter and, you know, more amazing iPhones are really not that big of a deal. And believe me, like, I like my iPhone. I'm just as addicted to this thing as the rest of you, right? Because every time I get a hit on, you know, my Twitter or my Facebook or my TikTok or I don't have a TikTok, but you, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, don't everybody go home and like search Pastor Jason on TikTok. I'm just as addicted to the little hits of dopamine that I get from this magical little device as the rest of you. But really, is this what passes for imagination in our culture? What if we really could imagine the impossible? What if the poetic images of lions living with lambs was really a way for us to stretch our minds to think about the possibility that Republicans and Democrats could live together. <laughs> that gay and straight people could live together, that liberals and conservatives might just be able to approach an election without vilifying each other to the point that people actually show up at government buildings with bombs and guns. This is what I mean by imagining the impossible. And this is, I think, actually what these passages exist for. Isaiah chapter 11 doesn't exist to create in us the fantasy that someday when we die, we will go to some sort of transcendent place where lions and lambs live together. These passages exist to stretch the boundaries of our imagination so that we might imagine that it's possible here and now for us to be at peace. It's embarrassing in some ways to talk this way. Because as soon as we talk about the idea that something impossible like peace might be achievable, it feels embarrassingly naive. It's easier instead to build communities of sameness, of homogeneity. In fact, I have a master's degree in how to grow churches. I do. Despite evidence to the contrary, I actually know how to grow big churches. I went to a school that literally pioneered the process. And I'll tell you right now what the secret is. Do you want to know what the secret is? You build a community of people who all think the same, look the same, act the same, believe the same. That's it. It's called the homogeneous unit principle. There's a name for it. It's easy to build a big community when you just appeal to all the same thoughts, ideas, beliefs, and values. The challenge is for us to build a community full of people who otherwise might kill each other, but don't because they actually believe what Jesus said. Is that possible? That's my hope. And that's what this place exists for. That's what the church is supposed to be.
Is it possible or not? I don't know. But I, I do believe that peace begins with fantasies of the imagination. Peace begins with our delighting in the possibility of goodness and beauty in this world. Peace begins with the courage to hope for just that kind of impossible goodness and beauty. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for another opportunity for us to be challenged and stretched by these words, <clears throat> by these old prophetic poems, by the images that challenge our ideas of what is and is not possible. We say today, together, and in spite of all evidence to the contrary, we believe that it might just be possible to create small pockets of peace in this world, where those who are often set against each other violently might be willing to lay down their weapons because they take delight in your goodness and your beauty. We pray that you would start by capturing our imaginations with a sense of delight for your goodness and beauty. That as we sing and we pray together today that we would be captured anew by who you are and what you're calling us to be. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Before we leave, we have a couple quick ways for you to get involved if you like what's happening here. The first is we have our Justice Works year-end holiday celebration. It's going to be December 10th at 2 p.m. So this is actually a great way if you're interested in Justice Works or if you've been involved uh, to really find out what's going on. There's going to be a white elephant party. There's going to be food. So it's going to be a really good time if you are curious or you are a part of Justice Works. Next, this one I'm really excited about. We have a community Christmas choir that we're going to form here. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are like, ooh, I don't know about that. But hey, if you sing, if you attempt to sing, if you want to sing, Come join us. Joey's going to do a great job making you feel included and welcomed. Uh, we're going to have two rehearsals on Wednesday the 14th and the 21st. So you can talk to Joey about that. And last, we have obviously our Christmas Eve service coming up on December 24th, 7 p.m. Right here, we're going to sing traditional Christmas carols, explore the mystery of God's presence among the birth of Jesus, and this year we have these little uh, cards. We're calling them like the golden ticket or something, right? We're gonna give you one and we're gonna just encourage you to maybe invite someone with that card this year, someone who hasn't been here before. So Gary, if you'd like to take one. And of course, as you heard, uh, we are in the year end giving campaign. Our goal this year is $35,000. You can give securely online, you can give in the boxes out there, you can write us a check, you can send us a Venmo, I don't know if we have Venmo, yeah. Zelle, you can send us a Zelle, 
Whatever you want to do, we will make it happen, okay? And lastly, uh, for all these things, we have these new little connect cards. Where's Alexis? Alexis, raise your hand. Alexis helped me design these as well as, um, yeah, these are fun. So what you can do now is if you're new, you can fill this out, or if you just want to sign up through an event, you know, the good old-fashioned way, you can write this down, put it in the offering box there. We also have these new programs in front of you, which you can take, which kind of gives you an overview of the entire month. Be careful, they might fall out of the pews <laughs> and go all over the floor, which we'll figure out later. But anyways, um, that's what we have going on coming up this month in December. And as I was uh, thinking about this message today and thinking about this ornament, I actually struggled to think of something, which is kind of sad to admit. And I realized that uh, the reason for that is exactly what Jason was talking about. This lack of imagination, this uh, conditioning that we're all subject to, right? To be distracted, to not really think about what's going on. And so this week, I'm going to encourage us all, and maybe you don't need to as much as I do, but I'm going to sit for five, ten minutes this week and really just try to imagine a better world, what that might look like, something fantastical, something wild. So I encourage all of us to just take a little time to do that this week and then maybe come back and share. What is that for you? Because I would love to hear we all would too. So may the peace of God be with you. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much.